Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a a lamp. It's a light. And we know that it illuminates our way. We thank you that because of your word, we don't have to stumble through life. But God, we can follow your precepts. We can find your answers. We give you thanks tonight for revelation that comes from you and from your word. Father, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes I I go to groups and I always have to say and remind people that God is for us and not against us. Tammy and I have been teaching a a group of teenagers at our house on Friday nights. And uh, it's kind of an amazing thing that they've been beat up by the devil. And they've been told how worthless and invaluable, how unvaluable they are. And uh, so they come to my house and and, uh, we talk about how God is for us. And not against us. And and many of them have never heard that before. Religion is pretty cruel. And by religion, I'm talking about not Christianity. I'm talking about that form of the what's called what I call Christian religion that that uh, is about ritual and about dress and those types of things, and not about a relationship with God. But it teaches people things like that God gives us failures to teach us things. Well, I don't think you can find that in the Scripture. He doesn't get satisfaction from our failures. The Scripture never teaches that. It says this. It says in Psalm 35, verse 27, Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God gets pleasure in the servant's prosperity. The word prosperity there, the the Hebrew word, is shalom. He gets pleasure from the shalom of his servant. And we've talked about that. Shalom, that word means complete. Absolutely complete with nothing missing. Absolutely complete and nothing is broken. And so God gets pleasure when we're whole. God gets pleasure when there's nothing missing and nothing broken. And so that's where he gets pleasure. I like the scripture in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 2. It says, grace and peace be multiplied. I like that. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. The more we know Him, the closer we get to Him, the more grace and peace is multiplied. He goes on to say, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these You might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I mean, the the better we know him, the grace and peace, the favor and the word for for peace in, in in the Greek is similar to the word Shalom, the word in the Greek is irene, and it has a similar meaning about being complete. It says that gives us all that is needed for life. And the word life is the Greek word zoe, which which means life as God has it. And you boil it all down, it literally means life connected to God. Okay, so the more we know him, the more connected we become. It's a supernatural connection to God and his supply. His intent is that we overcome the corruption of the world, the decay or the loss that is in the world. Man, that sounds like God wants us to win and not lose. 
Sounds like God is for us and not against us. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse 14 says, now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. And you can look up the word always in, in any lexicon and you're going to find out the word always means every time. Okay, he always causes us to triumph. I mean, now, God can get glory from our failures. That's because we probably didn't listen to him in the first place. He can get glory, and that's only if from those we learn to submit to what he says and refuse to take that loss as the final authority. I mean, I tell my employees all the time, I always say, you know, it is okay to make a mistake. Just don't make the same one over and over. We learn from those mistakes and we move forward from them. God wants us to have victory. He's provided whatever we need to have the victory. Here's what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 54. It says, For a small moment I have forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me, for I've sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. That is a fantastic passage of Scripture. He says that his covenant of peace will not be removed. The covenant of shalom will not be removed. When it says he forsook us and he hid his face from us, he's talking about the cross. It was at the cross that he hid himself. It was at the cross that he forsook us. But now there's everlasting kindness and mercy. Mercy and love on us. And I love what it says. He's saying this is serious. It's as serious as the covenant I made with Noah about flooding the earth again. When he set the rainbow in the sky, he said he will never forget his kindness. He will never forget his mercy. We have a covenant of shalom that will never be removed. He's saying, that is serious to me. It'll never be removed. God is good. And he intends for his goodness to be in our lives. That chapter later on in Isaiah 54, it says, In righteousness shalt thou be established, for thou shalt be far from oppression. Thou shalt not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near thee. We need those words in our homes today. That God promises us that terror doesn't come near us. Terrorism is, is the use of terror to, as a weapon against us. And God said, that, that's, it doesn't have it. It says, Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. This next part's a little bit confusing. He says, Behold, I've created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire and bringeth forth an instrument for his work, and I've created the waster to destroy. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, you, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. I, I love that. It sounds like he said that he created terror. Which, or the evil that is Satan. What he's saying is, I created Lucifer, he fell of his own accord, and now it's Satan, he's Satan now, and he's devising weapons to try to do you in. That's what he's saying. Then he says, in spite of all this, I'll give you whatever you need to overcome him. I like the way the Amplified says it. It says this, but no weapon that's formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, you shall show to be in the wrong. This peace righteousness, security, triumph over opposition is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. 
It's our heritage. It is our portion. God has designed us to live in victory. All right, now that brings me to the text we've looked at several weeks in a row. The scripture says in Mark chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus is speaking. The guy comes to Jesus and says, but if you can do anything, do have pity on us and help us. Remember, they were trying to cast the demon out of his son. The disciples couldn't get it out. Jesus comes down the mountain. He says, what's going on? The guy tells him. And then the guy, he tells him the disciples couldn't get the demon out. And he says, but if you can do anything. Uh, that's an amazing statement. If you can do anything. People say that all the time to him, though. You know that? They go to church and it's like, if you can do anything. I'm here at church. This is my last resort if you can do anything. It's kind of like when they say, when I was young, they'd say, well, I guess we should pray. And it's like, oh, really? Has it come to that? I mean, we go to church. If, if, if you can do anything, if you can do anything. And Jesus said, you say to me, if I can do anything, why, all things are possible to him that believes. If I can do anything, if you can believe. See, that's the question. Our victory in life many times takes a miracle. I mean, tonight, if we just look at things that we're facing, if we, if we look at what God has assigned us to do, we're going to need supernatural power to do what he's told us to do. I mean, you guys going to that, that, that home as the house parents, you need supernatural power. You need miracle power there. I mean, what God's assigned us to do is supernatural in scope. It's going to take a miracle for us to succeed. And that's good news. That means if we can believe, He will do through and to us whatever is necessary because it, all it takes is faith to believe for a miracle. Just have to believe Him. You see, we've been talking about the impossible. We mentioned the impossible assignment that's been given to the church that we're supposed to preach the gospel to the whole world. I mean, all of the world. We've talked about that, that there are almost 8 billion people, 3 billion have never even heard the name of Jesus before. It's going to take a miracle for us to reach them. We've had impossible assignments in our lives. We have to believe God for, for impossible healings and deliverances and, 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 and abilities to finish our races with joy. We, I don't know. We just need supernatural power. I mean, if, any, if anybody else in the history of the world has needed supernatural power, it's the church today. I mean, whatever the impossible odds are regarding our lives, we need miraculous power. We saw from that passage, it's attainable from God as we believe. This guy needed a miracle for his family. He needed a miracle. He questioned Jesus' ability and he questioned Jesus' willingness to do that. We need to be assured that God is willing and able to provide us whatever is necessary to fulfill the promise, any promise that we can find in Scripture. He's willing to do that. The question isn't about his ability. It's about our believing what he said he would do. And there are lots of theologians who can talk you out of it. They've tried to teach us that, what, that God didn't mean what he said. But I believe that he means what he says and he says what he means. And what he's promised we can have. We've got to be people of faith. I mean, if we just look at what's going on around us, we're going to have to not be afraid of terror. We, have, we need to understand the promise from God is that we have this covenant of peace that cannot be removed. We've got, to, we've got to be people who know what to do. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm 115, verse 16. It says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. 
Think about it. The heaven belongs to God. The earth has he given to men. Now, he owns the earth, but for a season it's been leased to mankind. But think about this for a moment. What is the crime rate in heaven? It's zero. That's exactly right. How many incurable diseases are in heaven? Zero. There are none. I mean, but that's because God is truly in total control in heaven. But it says the earth he's given to men. Mankind is in control. Now, mankind has given control to the devil, to the adversary. And since we're in the world that's controlled by men, we better be connected to God or we are going to be in trouble. We've got to make sure the connection is sure. I mean, we need to know it's going to take miracles and we're going to have to live by faith if we're to have what God wants us to have. And so tonight, we're going to look, we're going to make sure the connection is sure. We've got to be connected to the supernatural power of God that enables us to succeed in this world. Remember, we have the very first message in this series. We talked about us taking control. All right, we've got to be in. We've got to be connected to God to take control. So, it's going to sound like an unusual topic, but it goes with the series we're talking about. I'm going to talk tonight about the way to maintain the connection is repentance. Now, I'm not going to talk about all you need to repent. I'm talking about all the people who didn't come tonight. <laughs> but we need a life of connection that is uninterrupted. And it takes repentance sometimes in order to keep the connection right. All right. So if belief, and we, we read the passage, Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. So there's something that's vital to faith. That I mean, we don't hear this subject very much at all, ever. I mean, when was the last time somebody talked about repentance that you heard them talk about it? By the way, it's not bad news. It's actually very good news, and we're going to get to that. But think about these passages of Scripture. This is Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. It says, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. This is one of my favorite passages. Well, they're all, almost all of them are. But he's saying, this is what he said, an epical event has occurred to the degree that heaven is invading earth. And all you have to do is reach out, and it is at hand. And what you have to do is repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe. In Acts chapter 19, verse 4, it says, Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people, They should believe on him that should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. John preached that the people needed to repent and believe. Jesus preached that people needed to repent and believe. In Acts chapter 20, verse 20, and Paul says, And now I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed to you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith. 
It was the subject of the New was was the, the topic of, of the preaching of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter six, verse one. Says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Now this is interesting. Repentance and faith are like two sides of the same coin. Repentance and faith go together. As the pastor of a church, I used to always have a class going that taught the foundational doctrines of the church. And we always made sure people understood repentance and faith because they're part of the same thing. All right, Repentance and faith. Repentance, when it's necessary, is the prerequisite to faith that receives the impossible. And we'll talk more about that as we go here. Many are under the impression in today's church world that repentance is only for the lost. And that Christians need not ever to repent. It is a lie from the devil. We're in this, in this age where we're trying to, where, where it's very popular to say, oh, once you're saved, you've already repented and you don't have to. I mean, since we're the righteousness of God in Christ, there's never anything that can change that. So there's no need to repent. That simply is not true. If you look at the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, Chapter 2, verse 16, chapter 2, verse 22, chapter 3, verse 3, and 3, verse 19, Jesus is speaking to Christians, speaking to the church, and in every one of those situations, he tells them to repent. Every time. He tells the church to repent. All right? It always tells them that. Listen to this passage. This is 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. And, and, and following, it says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, fellowship with God, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, he's saying, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him, who he's talking about. This is the one another. He and I. Because before that, he said, if we walk in darkness, we don't have fellowship with him. So he's still talking about fellowship with God. He said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, me and God, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sins, we, no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, this is written from the Apostle John to the church, primarily the church at Ephesus. That's who he's writing to. The Apostle John is talking to Christians here. All right, He's, he's talking to them. He's telling them, if we walk, God is light. He is absolute light. If we walk, deport ourselves, live in darkness, we cannot have fellowship with God. I mean, we can act like we're having fellowship with God, but if we have darkness in us, we can't fellowship with Him. It's being disconnected. If we're disconnected, then we're not going to be have this connection flow for faith and for the supernatural. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with Him, we're connected. That would be life, because life is being connected. It says that if we say we have no sin... Now, this is talking about my relationship with God, not my relationship with you. This is what it's talking about. If I am living my life rationalizing that, okay, I can go ahead and do this. 
It's okay for me to do this, and, and that's okay. When we know in our heart that God has told us not to. Or if I say, I don't have to do that, but God has told me in my heart I need to do that. It's talking about a disconnect coming between me and God. Does that make sense? See, there are some things that I can find in the Scripture and I can prove from the Scripture that may not be sin. But if the Lord has told me not to do it, then it's sin for me. That's why that Scripture says uh, in Romans, it says whatever is not of faith is sin. And that's what it's referring to. It's referring to what we eat and what we drink. If I can do it and, and I'm fine with that and God hasn't said don't eat that, then I'm good. But if God told me not to do it, doesn't matter what he told you. I can't remember who it was. There was one preacher, and the Lord it was a lady. What's her name in Denver? The Lord told her not to read science fiction. Marilyn Hickey. Huh? Marilyn Hickey. And it's not a sin to read science fiction, is it? It is if God tells you specifically, stay away from it. This is what this is talking about. Talking about fellowship with God. Sin is, is a violation of light. What I know to do, what I don't know, what I know not to do, and doing the opposite of that, and then I can rationalize it with you all day long. And I can even try to rationalize it with God. You realize God knows our heart. And for me to stand before God and say, well, I, I didn't know that. It's not going to fly because he knows you know. He knows you know, he knows, he knows, he knows you know. And for you to say, I didn't know. You know, I remember when I was in school, and the teacher would tell us, you would get in trouble, we'd say, well, we didn't know. And she's like, right. But she couldn't prove we didn't know. With God, nothing is, unco- nothing is covered that he can't see. Sin in this passage is knowing the truth and doing or saying something else. It affects my relationship with God. It's referring to knowing that you're in sin, a violation of what he said, and saying that you're not. The Bible says that's a lie. That's what he's talking about. It's a lie. Not, not a lie to you. It's my connection with God. Listen, that's, what's, that's what matters. If we're going to have the supernatural power of God flowing in our lives, if we're going to live in his supernatural power, what's going to matter is the connection with him. Doesn't matter. My theology may or may not be perfect, but I need a connection with God. As long as we stay in the light of truth, we stay clean and we stay connected. That's that's what needs to happen. So what's the remedy? It's pretty simple. We confess our sins. We we confess specifically the disconnect of light. The word confess here is the Greek word homo logeo, which means to say the same thing. We must agree with him about the violation. And instead of him hawing around it, we need to call the sin, sin. And after we acknowledge it, we simply receive forgiveness and his cleansing. It says if I acknowledge that thing, then he cleanses me from everything else. I acknowledge it. Okay? That in all, the next chapter talks about that now, because of that, I obey what he tells me to do. And then it goes on to say, love my brothers. <laughs> but the connection 
is walking openly and honestly in the light of God. He with me, me with him, not rationalizing my behavior. Because truly, you can rationalize any behavior you want to. But knowing that I have this relationship with him, and that connection is more important than anything else that I can be be a part of. That's that's pretty good. I'm preaching to myself now. (laughs) Okay, so we do that. It's talking about repentance, though. It's talking about keeping this clean with him. Not trying to rationalize. Well, you know, the Bible isn't clear about that, so I can go ahead and do it. What did he say to me? What did he say? Think about this passage. This is in Luke chapter 13. Jesus is talking. He says, There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans. He ain't talking yet. Of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. They were sacrificing to the Lord, and Pilate killed him and mingled their blood with the animal's blood. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things? He said, I tell you no. But except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But except you repent, you shall likewise perish. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree, planted his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit there, and he found none. And he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none, cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I dig, dig about it and dung it, and if it bear fruit well, if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Now here, this is an interesting passage here. Jesus is saying, bad things sometimes happen to good people. Just because something bad happens doesn't mean they're bad people and they're being judged by God. There are a lot of people out there that are like that. They think, well, you know, God must be mad at you. I mean, this bad thing happened to you. You, you must be really, really bad. I remember I got sick one time right after I got filled with the Holy Spirit and my roommate came in and said, where did you let the devil in? This, this had to be your fault. You know, because obviously I had done something bad. But here's what he's, he's saying. He's saying, since we know the world is controlled by men, we'd better have a connection with God that is current and it's upheld by the living, by our living in the light of fellowship with him so we don't have to come under the jurisdiction of the world's curse. Then he tells them this parable that's connected to these statements about repentance. This is an interesting thing because it's right with that. He's telling them to repent. Then he tells them this parable about this tree that's not bearing any fruit. And the, and the husbandman comes and says, cut it down. I don't want to take up any more space on the ground. And the gardener says, wait, wait, wait. Let me just fertilize it for a year. And, and I'll tend to it. And I'll see what happens. And after that, if you need to cut it down, you can. I've always told people that if your life stinks, maybe you need to repent. Because he had to fertilize it for a year. <laughs> and the parable's about repentance. Here's what he's talking about. Lives planted in the husbandman's garden that are unfruitful because they're not connected to the source of light. Because they're not Christian lives are not fruitful because they're not connected. And when they're not connected, God's merciful kindness and patience. This is how, this is has about intercession here. He says, "Let me take care of it. Let me intercede for it. Let me do that." 
And then he said, then, well, then you can do what you need to do. The word repentance in the Greek, and I think I've told you this before, is the Greek word metanoia. Meta means change. Noia means mind. Repentance is literally a change of mind. But it's more than that. It's a change of mind and attitude towards sin and the cause of the sin, not just the consequences. Repentance is not remorse. People many times are remorseful because of their sin. Why? Because they got caught. You know, it's, it's like, I am so sorry, officer, that I, spe- I was speeding. No, you're not sorry you were speeding. You're sorry you got caught. That's remorse and not repentance. I remember I was often, I was often remorseful when my mom caught me doing something wrong, not because she caught me, because, not because, because I, was, I repented, but because I was remorseful. The scripture says this in Matthew chapter 27, verse 3. It says, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. And brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Doesn't sound like he changed his attitude toward anything. You know, he betrayed Jesus. He, he, he realized they were going to crucify him. He came in, had the money, he said, I don't want you to do that. It says he repented himself. The word for repentance is metanoia. The word for repented here is the, is the Greek word metamelon. And metamelon means to have remorse or regret, but it doesn't indicate any change of mind or action. He was sorry, but he wasn't going to change. Remember Peter? When Jesus, when he saw, when, when Jesus looked at him after, after he denied him three times, it says he wept. But he didn't go kill himself. He repented, and he changed. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it says this, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. There's a sorrow that brings repentance. There's a sorrow of the world that doesn't. Repentance is actually a very good subject. It's actually good news. All right. Many people hear about repentance, they get under condemnation. In John, 1 John 1, 9, he said, If you confess your sin, he forgives and cleanses you. That is good. You don't have to stay in the sin. Now we're able to believe for the supernatural power of God to be released on our behalf, on the behalf of those that we're praying for. We can have that supernatural power of God. Now, we can have, when the devil comes to condemn you and says you can't have a miracle because of yesterday's sin, you simply remind him of the word's truth and you tell him, no, that's not right because I have confessed it and he has forgiven me. I don't have to feel forgiven. I simply have to know the truth that comes from the word of God. Repentance restores my connection so that faith can operate, so the grace can come, so we can see the supernatural power of God. 1 John chapter 3 says this in verse 20. It says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. That is the truth. He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now that's pretty powerful. If our heart condemns us, if there is this break 
in this connection because I know that I know there's something that's not right here, then my heart condemns me and I don't have confidence with God. But if I have now, because of that, I've repented, now I'm confident with God. And I know that because of that confidence, whatever I ask, I receive because I'm keeping his word and I'm doing what he wants me to do. I can be confident. In other words, there's no clean supernatural flow of power to and through anyone who's not connected, but it goes to those who are connected. When known darkness is present, the connection is broken. Now, let's be clear about this one thing. There's nothing we can ever do to make God stop loving us. Nothing. He will always love us. But I'm talking about a connection of power being open. There's nothing we can do to earn forgiveness. We receive forgiveness by faith, and repentance is a side of faith that must be acknowledged. There's repentance and there's faith. The devil condemns people. And every time we talk about, every time I've talked about this in the past, people come and ask me about, well, I might have this, I might have that. How do I know? If you're unaware of any darkness in your life, don't let the devil accuse you of it. I mean, that's the problem. The devil comes and he gets in our ear and he begins to say, you know, you're really a bad person. Remember that thought you had about them three years ago? If you've already repented of it, there's nothing to repent of again. We can't let the devil run our lives. God is very able to show me if there's something I need to repent of. If there's nothing, then I'm not going to worry about it. The repentance is a gift from God. It comes. The scripture talks about God that he gives us repentance. He gives it to us. It's a gift so that grace can flow into our lives, so his blessing can come, so the supernatural power can be released. Romans 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. I'm free from the condemnation. I don't need to repent if there's nothing to repent of. I don't need to change my mind if I'm thinking right. We don't have to make up things. I mean, you know, the devil will come and tell you all kinds of things. He'll tell you that you're unable to. He'll tell you that, that you can't do what you, what you need to do because of this and that. He simply is not right. We don't have to believe him. Right? God loves us. He wants to get his power to us. And so the purpose of what I'm talking about tonight is just to make the connection sure. Lost people simply need to confess their sin of unbelief. You don't go to hell for drinking and smoking marijuana. People go to hell because they have not received Jesus. And they've not done that. Believers, though, only need to confess known areas of darkness. I remember I went to a, I was at a meeting one time, and, and it, before the meeting, it was, several churches were together, and, and I can't remember the, the, the whole deal that we were doing. It probably was Thanksgiving. And this one guy was the preacher, and he said, well, let us pray before we go out. These are the preachers. And he says, oh, Lord God, forgive us because we are wicked in your sight. We are just so wicked, and we pray for your mercy. And I thought, why are you the preacher? I mean, why are you the one? I mean, we're, we, we, I didn't have, at that moment, I didn't have anything to repent of. I mean, I was, I'm, I was good with God. I, I didn't have anything to, to, to go. I didn't, there was no darkness that I knew of. 
But this guy was praying about darkness that he didn't even know about. Because he had religion and he had tradition that was going on. Listen, we, we need to understand that, that we, we just have to confess the known areas of darkness. We don't have to go looking for them. Don't have to go begging. Don't go, go around trying to dig them up. We let the Holy Spirit tell us that. And when you find out, my good friend Larry Lee used to say, admit it, quit it, and forget it. Repent. Just make sure your heart is not condemning you so you can have confidence toward God that releases supernatural power in every situation. We repent and we repair when necessary. Whatever it takes to keep the connection clear, man, we need the supernatural power of God to reach the goal that God has set in front of us. We need to be able to repent and keep the connection clean. Amen? Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that, that repentance isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. That, Lord, we can be connected to you in every area. Lord, I just want my life to be open with you. It's not about what, what others can do or can't do. It's about what you've said to me. And I want to obey you in every way possible. I thank you for it tonight, for everyone in this room, that we have that privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.